Let me say a quick word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to preach you again. Uh, thank you that Andy did it last week, but I'm grateful to be back, and I pray that uh, your people would hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For my opening illustration, I had created this story that I wanted to like call you to imagine a scenario where you were driving to the store, and uh, you were going on this little journey, and you ended up having to take a detour, and you found it incredibly frustrating, and through it, God was going to teach you a lesson, and that was going to introduce the story of Joseph, uh, that sometimes God takes us on detours in life in order to teach us a lesson. And on every you know, couple sermons, on occasion, God gives me the opportunity to live the sermon before I preach it. <laughs> so although I created uh, this sermon illustration, this opener on a Thursday evening, I still had to get through Friday. And on Friday, I had to go down, I had to drive down to the South Station in Boston to pick up my wife and my mother-in-law from uh, the bus station. Uh, So not a terribly complicated task. I I thought I knew how to get there. And uh, so I I headed down. I left at about 2.30 in the afternoon, so I knew I was going to hit traffic on the way back. And when I got down there, I I did hit some traffic on the way, no detours, until I took an exit to what I thought was the South Station, and it ended up being the wrong exit. And so I had to drive through 10 minutes around through the Seaport District. Uh, Now, this is when rush hour is beginning, so it wasn't very fun. And as I was getting off the exit, uh, I had a phone conversation with Monica where she informed me that we actually were going to ride the train from South Station, from North Station back up to Beverly. Uh, and so as you can imagine, or, or Bill Ricca, as you can imagine, I wasn't in a great mood as I was going on this uh, inconvenient detour and then realizing that it was going to take me a lot longer to get home. And so I picked her up, I picked her mom up, we drove over to North Station, and we missed the train by two minutes. So we had to sit there for 30 minutes, and finally we did get on the train. We got up to the Bilrica station, and we tried to get a ride using Lyft. I don't know if you've ever been adventuresome and tried Lyft. It's kind of like Uber. And our first driver canceled, and finally our second driver showed up. It was like 10-minute wait, and we got home. And uh, a very nice man from Afghanistan named Akmal actually gave us a ride home. And it, it was an okay experience. And by the end, I could laugh about it. But I can tell you honestly that when it was happening, I wasn't in the best of moods. Sometimes God takes us on detours, inconvenient detours through circumstances that are not fun in order to teach a lesson. Uh, my lesson was to be a better husband on our anniversary Uh, I don't know if I learned it, Uh, but there's a lesson that God was teaching Joseph because God took Joseph on a 200-mile detour from his land, his hometown of Hebron in Canaan near Jerusalem. He was kidnapped and then sold into slavery And God was going to do something through it. God was going to uh, bring about good even in the midst of these confusing and unexplainable circumstances. 
See, God led Joseph into circumstances that he didn't understand in order to teach him something. Sometimes God, sometimes God leads us through circumstances, detours in life, in order to teach us something as well. Now, Joseph was a young man. Perhaps he was about a teenager. If you look at like, uh, kind of interpretations, modern interpretations of this story, the paintings always have like a young boy, a teenager, maybe 14 or 15. He was sold into slavery by his older brothers. Uh, Andy shared last week how that happened. Uh, he was the youngest. Bad things always happen to the youngest. I was the youngest. He's the youngest of 10 older brothers, and he also happened to be uh, his father's favorite. And that makes sense. The youngest tend to be the favorite, uh, I feel like. Uh, And (laughs) you can go home and debate that. Uh, And he had these these dreams. So already his, his brothers were jealous of him because his father showed his favoritism to Joseph by giving him an ornamental robe or a robe of many colors, according to the ESV. And, uh, and so they were jealous of him, but then he, ha- he has these visions where he, he dreams about, uh, it's, the, it's the harvest season, and each one of his brothers and him have, have created uh, sheaves of grain, and their sheaves of grain bow down to his sheaf. And of course, he does the smart thing and tells his brothers about it. And they're like, what, you think we're going to bow down to you? And then he has another dream where the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. And he tells this also to his brothers and his, and his dad. And they're just like, what are you doing? And what they think is probably pride, it's probably an overly active imagination, uh, is God putting a vision of the future into the mind of Joseph. And we're going to hear about that as we go through the rest of this series in August as we focus on Joseph. So one day his father sends Joseph to check up on his brothers, and his brothers kidnap him. They sell him to some Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites travel about 200 miles down to Egypt and sell Joseph into slavery and a man, to, to a man named Potiphar, to his household. And so you can imagine Joseph is feeling rather confused, distraught, wondering, where is God? Why is he taking me on this detour? Uh, aren't I supposed to be back in Hebron, eventually becoming, uh, you know, the head of the house or something along those lines? What are the circumstances God takes you through that sometimes uh, you don't understand? I'm going to go back one, actually. Maybe you are going through something right now that you can't explain, uh, that you don't know why it's taking place. Uh, I have a friend, uh, or I I, I know of a family at a past church that I interned at that uh, both of her parents have come down with cancer at the same time. You can imagine that would be incredibly confusing for her, incredibly confusing. Frustrating. Where is God in this moment? I know she's trying hard to trust God at this time. I have another out-of-state friend who we talk, and he's having a difficult time with his boss. They're not getting along. They're not forming a positive relationship, and they just seem to always be getting at each other. Those are circumstances he doesn't understand why God brought him to that job. I have another friend who, he was sitting in a cafeteria, 
and he was listening. He, he overheard uh, some people from his school in the next booth over, and they were kind of the people in charge of the school, and they were talking about how they wanted to move the capstone course, so the course that you have to take in order to graduate, they wanted to move it to the spring semester so that students would have to pay for a full year. And he's been trying to graduate since I was in college, since about 2009, 2010. He's been in school that long. And now he has to pay for a full year of college. Disappointing. And I know that each of you has perhaps something that you've been through recently or something that God will take you through that you're not going to want to go through. It's going to be a detour in life. It's going to be a circumstance you don't understand. And the big question for Joseph And for you and me in these circumstances, are are we going to trust God in those circumstances that we don't get, that we don't understand? Does God know what he's doing when he takes us through these journeys, through these detours? I believe God does know what he's doing and that he can actually use these times for good, to, to be a blessing to us, but also to help bless others. And this leads us to our next point, that God is with Joseph, and God uses him to bless others. God's presence, that means uh, God's Holy Spirit is going with Joseph through this 200-mile journey to Egypt. God's presence, God's Spirit is with Joseph when he's sold into slavery in Potiphar's household. Potiphar uh, is called the captain of the guard, or perhaps the captain of the bodyguard. So this would have been the bodyguard to Pharaoh. But specifically, uh, some people think, some uh, smarter people than me think that uh, he was in charge of executions. So imagine being a servant in a household where the master is the chief executioner for Pharaoh. That would be kind of a a nerve-wracking job because, you know, if you blow it, well, something bad could certainly happen. God takes him into this environment, into this foreign place, and actually uses Joseph to bless Potiphar, to bless this other man. In verses 2 and 3, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Notice how many times it says that. It It says it twice. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Why do we repeat things when we're talking or when I'm preaching? It's so that you'll remember it, so that it'll be emphasized. The story, the author, the author is Moses. He wrote this in such a way as to remind us that God was with Joseph, even in the midst of these difficult and hard circumstances. And God is using Joseph to give other people success says Joseph was a success, and Joseph benefited and gave prosperity to Potiphar. In fact, it says that everything Potter had, his house, his field, everything benefited because of Joseph. And Potiphar recognized that God's presence was with Joseph, that there was something special, there was something unique about him. And so he places him in charge of his own household. Now, do you remember from earlier in this series, we were preaching through Abraham's life. We just wrapped that up, and at the beginning, he was named Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, we're really introduced to Abram. And what's one of the first promises that God gives to Abram? Do any of you remember it? It 
It's in Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. It says, I will make you, Abram or Abraham, into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, just like we're looking at this verse, maybe Joseph remembered it. And remembered that God had made a promise to his great-great-grandfather, Abraham, that he and all of his people were supposed to bless foreign peoples, all the peoples of the earth. And we begin to see that in this passage right here, that even a, a head executioner, even a, a head uh, captain of a, of a foreign military uh, presence could experience God's blessing. That's what God does through Joseph. God took Joseph through this hardship so that he could be a blessing to others. Has God ever taken you through a hardship in order to use you to be a blessing to others? That you're not going through your situation or your circumstance or your detour in life just because God is vindictive or God doesn't like you, but you're going because God wants to use this experience in your life in order to encourage others. Uh, the Navy SEALs are one of the most elite military forces in the world. And apparently they have the most difficult uh, boot camp of any uh, branch or segment of the military. In fact, only about 10 to 20% of those that begin the Navy SEALs training camp actually graduate and actually become Navy SEALs. So that's a very low percentage. And those 10 to 20% that finish the camp, they're not the strongest, they're not the fastest, they're not the smartest, they're not the best leaders, they're not the people that you would look at and think, oh wow, they are going to be a Navy SEAL. In fact, they're often the weakest. They're often the ones that are the most scared, that are the most frightened. A SEAL who went through the camp graduated, writes this. He says, even in great pain, faced with the test of their lives, they had the ability to step outside of their own pain, put aside their own fear, and ask, how can I help the next guy to me? See, the Navy SEALs that make it through stop thinking about themselves. They stop thinking about their own pain and discomfort, and they think about how they can be an encouragement to someone else. Maybe that's the lesson that God wants us to learn as we go through uncomfortable circumstances in life. How can we be helping those around us? I know for me, my natural tendency is to be a complainer and to think over and over again about my inconvenient circumstances. God doesn't want that. He calls Joseph to something else as well. So maybe the next time I talk to my out-of-state friend who has a difficult boss, I can encourage him to say, hey, how can you be a blessing to your boss one way today? I know you're not going to have the greatest relationship, but maybe there's some way that you can be an encouragement to him. Maybe you're going through uh, paperwork in a difficult government system. Maybe God is using that experience so that one day you can help other people go through that difficult paperwork in that government system. Who can you help? Who can you be a blessing to? 
God did use that detour he took me on. I, I was like, man, I'm going to make this into a sermon illustration. And so at the end, we did strike up a conversation with our driver from Lyft. And in the five minutes from the Bill Ricca station to our house, I was able to tell him about Cornerstone and invite him to a service and give him a card, which we have back at the Welcome Center uh, that was in my wallet. And who knows what God will do? I, I, he didn't you know, say the sinner's prayer or anything, but I was able to at least think about how can we be uh, inviting him to join us. Now, maybe you are going through a circumstance right now. Begin to think about how you can be blessing others through this time. Now, in September, I I want to kind of open your eyes or remind you of a specific opportunity you have at Cornerstone to try to bless others, and that's our next big day. So September 10th, Uh, The second Saturday in September is a Saturday where we're going to try to specifically focus our efforts towards people that don't normally go to church, that are newer. Uh, I'm going to preach an easily comprehensible sermon, and it's a great opportunity for you to invite your coworker, your friend, a neighbor, uh, a Facebook friend, uh, to invite them to come and join you for the service. Maybe you can go out to dinner afterwards or have them over to your home. God can use us to bring other people to him, to bring other people to Jesus, even when we're not feeling it, when life is uncomfortable, when we're discouraged. God can still use us to be a blessing to others, and that's what God was using Joseph for. Now, this doesn't mean it'll be easy. Sometimes life gets more difficult before it gets easier. That's what happens in Joseph's story. Joseph uh, is tempted. He's tempted to not trust God, to put his hope in other things besides the God who is with him. We're looking at verses 6 through 10 when Joseph begins to experience the temptation from Potiphar's wife. Now, Potiphar's wife, we're not told much about her, uh, She's married to Potiphar. She's probably very wealthy because Potiphar would have been wealthy. Uh, she probably has status because he uh, had status. Uh, you know, if there's a kind of a caste system, she would have been near the very top. Uh, and Potiphar's wife was probably very beautiful uh, just because of her station in life and who she was married to. Now, we're not told a lot about Potiphar either, uh, but he was a kind of figure that was like a Lord Chamberlain. Now, I didn't really know what that term meant, a Lord Chamberlain, but apparently that's uh, an actual position in the royal household, so like in England, and a Lord Chamberlain is in charge of kind of the, the king or the queen's household. And so we can imagine that uh, Potiphar's wife and Potiphar are kind of power couple. Uh, we were thinking of power couples at our preaching breakfast on Wednesday morning, and we thought of people like Jay-Z and Beyonce, or George and Amal Clooney, or Tom Brady and Giselle. She was doing that walk across that huge stadium. If any of you saw the Olympic uh, opening ceremony last night, those are kind of 
power couples. But Joseph, uh, he's also very handsome. It says that he was well-built and handsome. And the Hebrew word they, they use here is that he was beautiful. So he was a beautiful guy. Uh, I'll let you figure out what that means in your mind. Uh, but in my mind, that's a combination of like the smile of Harrison Ford, uh, the physique of Matt Damon, and the facial hair of Tom Brady. So that's, that's what I like to imagine Joseph looked like. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. So Joseph was also a good-looking guy, and he was experiencing success. And you can imagine that if uh, Potiphar's wife is also beautiful, he could have come up with a way in his mind to justify uh, partaking in that sin, sleeping with his wife. He was the one who was really in charge of the household. He was the one who was uh, producing success in the household. Why didn't he deserve her? But the Bible tells us that he resisted temptation. When you're tempted in these circumstances, how, what's your response? I know that when we go through times of stress, when we go through times of anxiety, that's when Satan tends to bring the temptation on the hardest because we're at our most weakest. And so what are the things that you're tempted to give into? How can you respond like Joseph instead of like you naturally would? Joseph resisted. It says that uh, he removed himself from the situation. He ran away. He physically uh, fled her presence when he comes into the household one day and she's alone and she grabs his garment. He he removes himself. He didn't even want to be around her when she was tempting him uh, before that, day after day. It says he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And when she does kind of initially tempt him, he gives a speech. See, he's resisting her. He's aligning his will with a different way of doing things, with a different path. Instead of justifying his sin, Joseph thinks about all the good things that his master has given him. And he praises his master, the one who has enslaved him, who is largely responsible for his situation in life, who is continuing the situation, who has not set him free. Instead, he goes out of his way to praise the one who's put him into bondage. So when you're tempted to sin in your marriage, Perhaps stop and think about all the good things that your spouse has done for you. One of the other things Joseph does is he praises God. He says, this is a wicked thing. I'm not going to give in to this temptation. That would displease God. See, he's magnifying the goodness of God. He's saying, God is good, so I want to do good things. I want to align myself with him. So when you're tempted to uh, cheat at school, Maybe one of the ways that you can uh, resist is by saying, well, school is a good thing. Academics are a good thing. God has brought me here, not just to fail, but to, to trust him through this. When you're tempted to sin at work, thank God for your work. And remember that you can do it unto him, that we can do everything unto God, praising God. I like that Joseph removes himself from the situation because that's a very practical way we can uh, escape temptation. If you're uh, tempted to look at something in your room at night, well, go sit on the couch and watch television for a little bit. If you're tempted to buy something at a store on your ride home, try taking a different route. 
If you can't speak respectfully of your boss or a coworker at work, maybe you need to lock yourself uh, in your office or work from home. These are practical ways. They're, they're not special to Christians. Anyone can benefit from these things. When you're tempted to not trust God, to sin, how do you respond? Joseph's uh, temptation, uh, we, can, we can take lessons from it and, and learn how to respond in our own lives. Now, Joseph does a good job looking at verses uh, 11 through 20. It says, One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were around. So maybe Joseph was heading towards something he shouldn't have, uh, but the Lord delivers him. It says, She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph does the right thing, and if you were to read the next section, as Anthony read it, uh, Potiphar's wife begins to call out, saying, uh, Joseph did this. Look, I've screamed. I've, uh, he's come here just to, to make fun of us, to play with us. And then she has an opportunity to speak to her husband, and she blames him once again. She says, this Hebrew, this slave, this, this foreigner, you brought him here to make fun of me, didn't you? Her story changes a little bit. At first, you know, uh, she, she screams, uh, but no one really hears the scream. Uh, and then she has to call out. See, she's lying, but it leads towards Joseph being sent to prison. He gets condemned falsely. He gets accused falsely. He still ends up in jail, even though he does the right thing, even though he resists the temptation. Now, Potiphar's wife, when she tries to get him, she grabs his cloak. She tries to force him to be with her, and he still runs out of the house. So uh, cloaks in that day had different layers, so she probably grabs the, the top layer of his cloak and strips him of that, and he runs outside and kind of his undergarments running away. But you can imagine as he's running away that he's reminded of an event that took place recently in his life. You can bet that he was thinking of his brothers and how they stripped him of his ornamental garment of his robe that his father had given him. And then they cast him into a pit and sold him into slavery. Here, once again, Joseph is losing his clothing. He's losing the shirt off his back. This garment would have been given to him by Potiphar. And it probably uh, would have been uh, a garment with status associated with it. So something about it would have signaled his station in life. See, he's, he's lost the sign of his favoritism by losing that first garment, and now he's lost the sign of his authority with this second garment. See, God is stripping Joseph. God is stripping Joseph of anything he can put his trust in instead of God. Doesn't God do that for us? He takes us through life and says, I'm going to strip you of what you're putting your hope in because you're not putting your hope in me. There's no guarantee that when we do the right thing, life will get better. There is a guarantee that if you know God, that God can bring you through that and you can be a better person because of it through God, through Christ, as God is forming you to be a little bit more like Jesus. Sometimes God has to strip us of everything before we'll really trust him. My, my dad used to say that uh, 
when they were going through times and like finances were a little bit lower, those were the times when he learned to trust God the most. It wasn't when the bank account was cushy. It wasn't when everything seemed okay. See, it's those other times when money is low that you have to pray and you have to trust God. It's when God strips us of those other things. Uh, there was a geologist named Dr. James Clark. Uh, and I know some of you have recently been to Russia, so this is a Russia sermon illustration. Uh, he went and visited the Soviet Union after the end of communism. And he had the opportunity to preach in a small Baptist church in Russia. And he knew that many of the people in that church had been persecuted. So they had lost uh, perhaps spouses. They lost like a husband uh, to communism, to the, the leaders, or they themselves had experienced some sort of persecution. And so he wanted to be an encouragement to them. And so he talked about clay. Uh, I brought a picture of clay. just found this online. Uh, and did you know that clay is actually made of uh, tiny microscopic minerals that are crystals. So clay is not just your average dirt. It's made of tiny little crystals. And under pressure, when, when, when clay experiences lots and lots of pressure, it is transformed. It is transformed into this, a garnet. It's transformed into a gem, and you can, you can shape these gems. You can, uh, you can shape them to be really beautiful, like a precious stone. And when he shared this illustration with the church, they all began to cry, and they began to kind of shine like precious stones because they were reminded that God t uses uh, moments of pressure, moments of uh, going through circumstances we don't like, we don't understand, to form us, to shape us to ultimately make us more like Jesus Christ because he is the most beautiful, precious stone there ever was. Did you know that when you take a garnet and you apply even more pressure, so more and more pressure, it turns into a mineral, a mineral called a starolite. A starolite. I hope I'm saying that right. And this is what a starolite looks like. A starolite is two Greek words that mean stone cross something about the, the crystals aligned into the shapes of these little X's, these little crosses. See, Christ is the one who went through the worst pressure. Christ is the one who, who, who stood under the wrath of God and took it. You can only imagine his circumstances. He could either trust God in them or, or not. See, God uses hardships to make us more like Jesus. In our story, God is using hardships to make Joseph more like Jesus. Now, some of you who know your Bibles know that Jesus, uh, you know, he's not born, he's not named until the New Testament, but he was around at this point. Uh, he's the Son of God, he's always been there. And when he's born, he takes on flesh and becomes a human. But one day, Jesus will come, and already God is making Joseph more like Jesus. See, Jesus comes into circumstances that perhaps he didn't always fully comprehend. He took on human flesh. He took on a human mind. And he knew those things that the Father gave him to know. One day, Jesus was tempted. And then another day, and another day, he was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Just like Joseph was tempted in our story, but Jesus never gave into temptation. He never sinned once. 
He didn't run away from the final temptation. He ran towards God. He ran towards the cross. And he became the ultimate sacrifice. It says that Potiphar burned with anger. That means his nostril, if you look at the original language, his nostrils were like on fire. He had like this burning red nose, not in like a nice Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer way, but like in an angry, angry way. Jesus also took some anger. He took the wrath of God. God poured out his wrath upon Christ so that we wouldn't have to experience God's wrath for our sins. Notice that Joseph, in his story, he goes to prison silently. He doesn't put up an argument. See, he could have defended himself. He could have said, Ah, Potiphar's wife, your wife, she did this to me. She has falsely accused me. But he doesn't. He puts his own life on the line. It's amazing that Potiphar doesn't kill him because he could have. That's a household slave uh, trying to uh, sleep with his or her master. That would have been a punishment worthy of death. Joseph doesn't defend himself even to the point of death. He doesn't have to die. Jesus also went to the cross. He went to the cross like a silent lamb. He didn't make a defense for himself. He went willingly so that he could pay the penalty for our sins. Joseph was stripped of his cloak. He was stripped of his garments. Jesus was stripped bare. He lost his robes. He was mocked. He was bruised. He was beaten. He was slapped. Just like Joseph, Jesus lost his clothes. Jesus did it so that you and I could be clothed. Not with physical garments that we have here tonight, but with a different type of clothing. A clothing made of holiness. A clothing made of righteousness. There's a story in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3, where he has a vision. He has a vision of God in heaven and, a, and the high priest at the time, a man named Joshua. It says, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. This is a vision he's having. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. He takes off the clothes, and God gives him a clean turban. He gives him fine garments. He puts these clean garments on him. That's a symbol of God clothing Joshua, the high priest, in that vision with the very righteousness of God, with God's holiness, with God's innocence. God does that for you and for me when we trust in him, when we put our faith in Christ. God takes off our dirty garments And he clothes us. He clothes us with a whole new record, with the record of Christ Jesus. See, Jesus lost the robe off his back so that we could wear it, so that when we stand before God, we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's good news. That's what the gospel is. And knowing that when we go through circumstances that are hard, when we go on detours, knowing that that God has clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus, that Jesus has gone through similar circumstances, that gives us the courage to stick it out, the courage to keep going forward, trusting God no matter what. That gives us the humility to learn whatever God is trying to teach us in these circumstances because without Jesus, we're nothing. It's only with Jesus that we're, that we're holy and that we're pure, and so we can have true humility. The love of Christ can transform you and me. Did you know that in the story, we tend to put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph? But in reality, 
we're more like Potiphar's wife. In reality, we tend to use other people for our gain. In reality, when, when someone else does something that we don't like or is inconvenient or, or we just uh, disapprove of, we, we try to manipulate them. We sin. Jesus came to transform Potiphar's wives, <laughs> to transform people like you and me that are sinful, that are broken, into people that are a little bit more like Joseph and ultimately more like Jesus Christ. That's why he comes. Now, Joseph wasn't able to obey because he was perfect, but because God's presence was with him. See, God is with Joseph through the whole story. God is still with Joseph, and he loves him. In the last three verses, it says the Lord was with Joseph. It says it two more times. So it says it four times in our passage because God wants to emphasize it doesn't matter what the outward circumstances look like. I am with Joseph. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances look like, what my circumstances look like. God is with us. If we know Christ, we can be assured that God is with us. Now, it says in verse uh, 21, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness. Now, showed him kindness. In the ESV, it talks about showed him uh, love, steadfast love. See, the word here for kindness is a special Hebrew word. I actually uh, brought it so you can see it on the screen. This is the Hebrew word chesed. Say that five times fast. (laughs) It means loyal love. It means uh, covenantal love. A covenant is a promise where God is involved. See, hesed is God's love. It's his promise that he will always love you and that no matter what you do, he will always continue to love you. God gave his loyal love and his loyal presence to Joseph, and that was what got Joseph through his circumstances. See, no matter what Joseph experiences in the outward, in the world, God is still with Joseph and God still loves him. And that's our message tonight. That's our big idea tonight is that no matter your circumstances, God is still with you and loves you. So I want you to remember that as you go home this evening. No matter your circumstances, no matter what detours in life you are being taken on, God still loves you and God is still with you. And when God sends us on inconvenient detours, he's trying to teach us a lesson. This is the lesson. This is one of the lessons. Maybe there's other ones. No matter your circumstance, God is still with you and still loves you. No matter how much pain you feel in here, no matter how much pain you feel out there, God can still be with you. How do you know he's with you? Well, if you know Jesus Christ, you know God. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you can't say you're a Christian. Well, you can meet him here tonight. That's the cool thing about God. He offers every opportunity every day to come to him. And if you don't know Jesus, come talk to me after the service. But it begins with just a prayer of repentance and beginning to follow after Jesus, trusting in him with your, loyal, with your whole life. In Hebrew, the very last word of chapter 39 is the word success. In the NIV, it's something different. But in Hebrew, the very last word is success. See, what makes Joseph a success is that God is with him and God loves him. And even if you feel like a failure in your current circumstances, in God, in Jesus, you are a heavenly success. You are a success that is greater than any earthly accomplishment could ever do. 
because you have the record of Jesus. You've walked on water. You've turned water into wine. You've performed miracles. You've always lived a holy life in Jesus. You've always done the right thing. No matter your circumstance, God is still with you, and he still loves you if you know Jesus. I'm going to close with a story. I'm sure many of you have heard this story, uh, perhaps in a different sermon illustration or popular culture or like in a poem, but I think it's a nice story to close with. One night, I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times, there was only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. And so I said to the Lord, you promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would always walk with me. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there is only one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, the years when you have seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I carried you. No matter your circumstances, God is still with you, and he still loves you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're with us and that you love us. This is what we need most. We need Jesus the most. I pray that you would bless our offering, bless our closing, uh, closing song, and would you just be glorified as we go home this evening and as we have fellowship time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.